Hello and welcome to episode 126 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. This episode will be released on January 7th, 2018. I, 2019, man. I knew I was going to do that first episode of the year, and uh, that's what you get with a new year. So, happy new year, everyone, and welcome to the Rollo and Slappy Show. Uh, with, of course, myself, Rollo McFlugel, and Slappy Jones, too, and we both live at McFlugel.com. The show notes page for this episode will be McFlugel.com slash 126, where you'll be able to find links to some of the things we talk about, as well as how to check out our guest, who Slappy will introduce right now. Thank you, Rollo. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Today, we're going to be talking Bitcoin with Colin. You may know him as the heavily armed clown on Twitter. His uh, handle is at the underscore ha trader uh welcome to the show colin hey how's it going thanks for having me on absolutely Man, thanks for joining us so yeah, i guess I should, yeah, yeah go, let go me, ahead, Rob, I, you go yeah let me let me just cut in first with uh saying that i i met colin through uh jw weatherman's uh cypherpunk university course talking about uh money and bitcoin and everything so check that out we'll throw yeah a real link quick though page. just for me because i was not a part of that course um I mean, give a little plug for it, or, or what is it? I mean, you, you think you learned a lot from it? You think it's worth doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I It was really a jumping off point for me to understand uh, sound money and why Bitcoin is the one and only uh, cryptocurrency that really has a shot. Um, yeah, and it really, it really uh, gave me a shot in the arm for being excited about the prospects of Bitcoin because I mean, that's, it's really what Bitcoin is about is, is overthrowing the, uh, the central banks and, uh, having good hard money. So Colin, do you have anything? Yeah. Um, so for my relationship with JW kind of just started watching him troll people on Twitter and then I checked him out on YouTube and I was like, Hey, this guy seems pretty smart. Um, and he's not afraid to say some things that really upset a lot of people. It might not always be the most popular opinions. Uh, so I kind of developed a little bit of a relationship with him just on Twitter and private messages. Uh, nothing like extensive, just kind of talking back and forth about Bitcoin or asking questions, bouncing ideas off each other. And then he mentioned his course um, and told me, you know, if, if I was interested, I could send him some Bitcoin. We could I could try it out. Uh, if I wasn't satisfied, he'd give me the Bitcoin back. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm interested just because I like to check out a lot of things in the space. And I really liked what he had done with MathBot. I think that was why I was originally reached out to him was because he created uh, MathBot, which is basically uh, a tool to teach kids programming. It's like a game that teaches things like basic uh, function placement all the way up to like recursive functions and eventually it's going to be a pretty in-depth tool to let kids kind of learn as they play a game which I thought was just really cool and I think that the world needs to see more of that so I was like yeah you know I want to support um, whatever other project you're working on I'm, I'm definitely willing to check it out and it, it wasn't really what I was expecting it to be the way he kind of pitched it to me um, maybe there's just a miscommunication there but his course is essentially like a six-hour crash course in Austrian economics, like all things monetary history, all things like sound money, all things like finance, like to kind of give you a really robust, basic understanding of why Bitcoin is so important. Not necessarily why, like how Bitcoin works, but like mm -hmm. why Bitcoin is so impactful in the world, like in its current state. Yeah, it was something that 
I, I was expecting something different too. Uh, Cause he kind of said it was like an investment kind of course. And when we were going through it, I was kind of, I was in my head, I was thinking, man, this, this isn't in really investment. Cause he's not explaining. I was kind of thinking like, Oh, how do you invest money in, into certain things? But really it was kind of a warning about how to invest and how to speculate. And uh, that you really, really need to, to know what you're doing in order to do it uh, successfully. So in that sense, like looking back on it, that's when I realized how val- I really realized how valuable it was. So yeah, I give it, I give it two thumbs up. And, yeah. That's a good point too. Cause I, a lot of people unfortunately look at cryptocurrency, like they're investing in like a stock, mm-hmm. which is not, it's not anything like that. And if people approach it like that, they're going to get burned really badly. At least in my opinion, like if anything, cryptocurrencies are closer to like, pink sheet stocks, which are like penny stocks, where pretty much 99% of them are just scams designed to dump shares on people to make money. That's literally the only reason most penny stocks exist is to like make money for the founders and like make weird shady deals behind the scenes with people who raise funds for various possibly illicit activities. Like cryptocurrencies are no different. Like Bitcoin is really the only one that kind of sets itself apart from the rest of that. Yeah, so that's a good good spot to transition. Why why do you think uh, Bitcoin is the one? That that is a question that a lot of people have spent a lot of energy and time on trying to answer. Um, I think you know, like the thing about Bitcoin is, and I, I've I've kind of been uh, just to give you guys like a little bit of background about where I'm coming from here. I first heard about Bitcoin in 2011. Uh, I was always like an avid redditor. And I used to just hang around on like the nerdy parts of Reddit and constantly I'd see people talking about Bitcoin. And I kind of had the the Andreas Antonopoulos reaction to that, like, oh, that's stupid nerd money. Like, why should I care about that? It's pointless. And over the years, you know, the topic kept coming back up and people, I kept seeing people talk about Bitcoin. I don't really remember much about it on those days. I just remember people were always talking about the price and occasionally like, but price would go way up and everybody on Reddit would freak out in their little nerd corners of the internet. And I constantly remember thinking this thing is not going away. Um, I would say late 2016, early 2017, I started thinking, okay, I want to, Bitcoin is obviously going to be around for a while. And I've heard a lot of people that are pretty smart uh, that have talked about it and expressed a lot of interest in it. Uh, So I kind of decided to start pursuing at least understanding more about like what it was and how it worked and all those types of things. And I really dove headfirst into like blockchain and Bitcoin and all the things like all the technical things around that. Um, But it's it's kind of funny, too, because at the same time, before I had even like gotten into Bitcoin at all, I was already like pretty heavily into Austrian economics. And that all started with uh, Ron Paul's and the Fed. That was like my first introduction to um, sort of like the alternative financial world, like not what you see on CNBC or like on like Fox News, the stuff that isn't really talked about like in mainstream circles or in mainstream academia. Um, And then all the citations in like Ron Paul's and the Fed kind of led me down this rabbit hole. I read book after book after book, like everything I could get my hands on. Uh, I went from Ron Paul's on the Fed to the creature from Jekyll Island. I went from the creature from Jekyll Island to, um, I think it's understanding basic economics by uh, Howard Hazlitt. I think that was, that's what that one's called. Economics in one lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Economics in one yeah. lesson. That's it. And then I read, uh, I think some money production. And then I started getting into 
um, some Rothbard, some Mises. I read uh, Verb to Serfdom by F.A. Hayek. I literally just went down the Austrian economics rabbit hole. And all of this was happening like as I was learning it about Bitcoin, sort of in tandem with it, completely unrelated. I didn't even understand that Bitcoin like was sound money until probably a decent amount of time later. Um, and I'm, that's a really roundabout way of answering your question. It's taken like, I'm not kidding, hundreds of hours of research about technology, economics, like computer science, all of these things that I have spent like the past several years of my life dedicating all of my free time to studying to come to the conclusion that Bitcoin is the one. So okay. did you ever, just uh, cur curious, as you were uh, learning about Bitcoin, did you ever get into any of the altcoins or buy, trade, any of them? Yeah, I spent about, I spent about a year and lost a whole lot of money. Like, just because, um, and, th and that's something that I think, like, because there's, there's this divide with Austrian economics. Like, we have the guys who are the gold bugs who don't want to, like, they have this weird hang up about something about intrinsic value. I always say like something, something intrinsic value because they don't have a real argument to make because um, at the end of the day, they don't really understand Bitcoin. And unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but they don't really understand gold and like what makes gold valuable and like things like stock to flow ratio and inelasticity of supply and demand. And they don't understand that like Bitcoin has all the things that gold has that make it valuable as a store of value, but they do it better. Like Bitcoin just does it magnitudes better than gold actually does but these people their hang up is on the fact that like they can't hold it in their hands there's no industrial usage which are oh sorry um there's no industrial usage for like bitcoin which arguably i would say isn't actually really all that true um the fact of the matter is, is that most of gold's value is not propped up by industrial use. It's propped up by store of value. It's propped up by people buying mm -hmm. it, like under the social consensus that gold is money, that gold is valuable, and that gold is something that like they can buy and expect that it's going to be worth the same or more later on in the future. Yeah, I, uh, I, I never really bought the intrinsic value kind of proposition it's it's what does that even mean i mean we all if we're austrians value is subjective and uh if we started mining asteroids or something or just happened to find this huge reserve of gold well i mean what what happens to the to the price of gold or we find we uh develop or discover an alternative material that just is way better than gold absolutely yeah and that, you know what what intrinsic value does gold have at that yeah yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, like in regards to the altcoin thing, like there, there's so many like there's so many euphemisms that are thrown around like, oh, uh, Bitcoin is the, the AOL of uh, Internet browsers or um, Bitcoin is MySpace and Cardano is Facebook or like all of these really cool, like really interesting sort of intelligent sounding phrases. Um, that on the surface, they like they seem really intelligent and they seem like, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about. But they're really completely devoid like of any technical understanding or like of any understanding of networks and how networks propagate things like the Lindy effect, the network effect, uh, things like um, security, like the way security and proof of work actually works like within Bitcoin and the way it creates feedback loops, you know, for people to participate in the system rather than try to disrupt the system. 
all of the economic economic incentives and game theory that are built into Bitcoin, like they set Bitcoin not just like on a different level, but in a completely different playing field from all of these other cryptocurrencies that are trying to solve problems that really don't exist, or maybe they do exist, but they're trying to shoehorn blockchain and cryptocurrencies into that problem because it's profitable to do so, or at least it's profitable to tell people that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, can you explain the Lindy effect for, for our listeners? Because I think that's an important concept to get because, yeah, I, I, I agree with those the kind of sayings people say. Recently, someone said, told me that, well, Bitcoin's just the proof concept. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lindy effect, sure, is just uh, the longer something exists, the more likely it is to continue to exist. Meaning that if something exists tomorrow, it's more likely than it was today to exist the day after tomorrow. Uh, the longer it goes, the longer it's going to be more likely to continue to go. And just in terms of Lindy effect, Bitcoin is far above any other cryptocurrency in this space. And if you just like go to CoinMarketCap and rewind the clock back to like 2014, you will see that pretty much every single cryptocurrency that was alive back then no longer exists today. Like none of them, nobody talks about any of them because they're all dead chains. And especially like these proof of work chains, like if nobody's mining, the chain is useless. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so another kind of, um, while, while we're at this, uh, can you talk about the idea that the altcoins provide competition for Bitcoin? Uh, because I think there's that's, that's another one of the kind of bait and switch moves that people kind of do is that as Austrians, and this is, this is one meant to appeal to a lot of people who are into Austrian economics, as we always talk about free markets and competition and, and competition is good. And I, it gets, when people say that Bitcoin is the best uh, cryptocurrency out there and will be the best one, and, and we don't want to deal with any of the other altcoins, that gets taken as we're against competition. Um, well, yeah. One thing I want to add, because I know I've heard people say things like this, like Bitcoin cash raising the block size. Um, you know, Lightning Network could have sat around forever. No one do, does anything about it until Bitcoin Cash comes around and um, raises block size, which kind of gets Bitcoin people to work a little harder to get this thing out. Um, and I think people would, would at least argue that having these other coins out there to try different things would be beneficial for Bitcoin if they choose to adopt any of that. Do you have anything to say on, on any of that with the competition and other coins? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... You know, I, I, I've never, it's funny because I'm surrounded, like I surround myself with Bitcoin maximalists. Like the only people I follow on Twitter, um, with the exception of maybe like one or two pretty sharp people are all Bitcoin maximalists. The majority of the people that I talk crypto with on a regular basis, they're all Bitcoin maximalists because they're the only people that I can stand because they're only ones on the same level of understanding as me, as me. And that's not like a shot at people saying like, oh, I think anybody who's not a Bitcoin maximalist is stupid. It's that I don't want to spend like hours of my day and tons of my energy rehashing the same arguments over and over and going through these things with people like again and again and again. I've never heard a Bitcoin maximalist, like at least not any of the ones that I know, say that all these other cryptocurrencies don't have a right to exist or that they should be shut down or that like regulations should be put in place to prevent them or that like Bitcoin should be the only one that it should exist and that no other cryptocurrency has a right. I I've never heard that. I mean, I don't know if you guys have or not. Like that just... Nope. I've never heard a maximalist say that. No, I, I hear all coiners say things like that. Right. I hear no coiners say things like that. 
maximalists don't think that way because generally speaking, most maximalists are libertarian free market types. If, if nothing else, a lot of them are anarcho-capitalists. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just basically going to re-ask the question. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to like a lot of these cryptocurrencies, I, I, I think that that's a really good point. Like they take ideas that people have, whether they're valid ideas or not, whether they're affinity scams, you don't really know. Uh, an affinity scam is whenever someone who's like well-known in the space or someone who has like a lot of influence in something comes in and tries to make it seem like there's a lot of support for like a general idea when there actually isn't. Uh, the two, uh, Segwit 2x fork is a great example of that. There was a lot of minor pressure and industry pressure to try to increase the block size when really none of the users, none of the node, none of the people who run nodes actually wanted it. And they tried to sort of force this down the throats of the Bitcoin community and the Bitcoin community said no, right? They didn't, they didn't go for the upgrade, um, the Segwit 2x upgrade. They, they foregoed that whole thing and, and then they ended up calling off the hard fork, right? Um, I, I think it's a really good example, like something like Bitcoin Cash is a really good example of saying, yeah, let the free market decide. Go over here, make your own product and do it better. Like, please iterate on Bitcoin and do it in ways that will prove all of us idiots wrong. Um, I think that a lot of these cryptocurrencies are great examples of that. Unfortunately, people think that just because a cryptocurrency goes out and like something like Ripple and like pumps up to like 14 billion and hasn't died, um, they think that that's a success story. When in, in reality, like we're looking like the people who are working on Bitcoin right now are thinking in terms of centuries, like not in terms of like a year. Right. Yeah. And I, I think one of the big confusions out there with the competition idea is that uh, the free markets and competition are the same thing as like sound monetary policy. So, I mean, I, as a good example, I've seen somewhere where I, one of the a big Bitcoin cash supporter who was dead against Craig Wright and the, and the S Bitcoin cash SV fork um, was saying that, well, we'll see what happens. And I kind of support the BCH SV chain because Hey, free market competition. And saying, instead of just being like, no, I think this guy's a crook and it's a scam. Um, so I think, there's that's where some of the confusion is it's just like you know it's just like anything else it's if you like hamburgers and you love going to eat mcdonald's it doesn't mean you have to like burger king yeah. <laughs> or, or want burger king to exist right um you, yeah and, and it, it if people want to go there like and, and eat shittier hamburgers like by all means like i'm not going to stop them and right it's especially like i love the free market i think that i, I wouldn't necessarily call myself an an ancap but I'm pretty dang close. Like I want as little government intervention in the free market as possible. I want as little regulatory oversight as possible because yes, let the best product win at the end of the day. Um, but it's silly to even have that conversation about cryptocurrencies because Bitcoin, Bitcoin is hands down a hundred times above anything else in this, in this game. Right. Yep. Uh, so I don't know if you had anything else to ask about. No, that area stuff. I mean, I where you, uh, it depends on where you're going next. Maybe I do. I didn't go for it. I no, I was, was going to say, um, we talk about Bitcoin being number one or being like a world currency. And, um, you know, you hear people say Litecoin is the silver to Bitcoin's gold. 
Um, we have multiple currencies in the world today. Why do we need one? Uh, any thoughts on that, on why we need, because you you're a Bitcoin maximalist. I assume you want Bitcoin to be the world currency. Yeah. Any thoughts on that or why you think Bitcoin has to be the only one, if yeah. that in so, fact is what you say? Let me try to break that up into chunks because that's a lot to digest. Sure. Um, the first, your first part about how Bitcoin, why, why Bitcoin? Like why Bitcoin and why not like Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash or whatever? So when we're looking at sort of cryptocurrencies as a whole and like what they function to do, or if we go back in time, like before Bitcoin even existed and we look at the cypherpunk movement and like what the cypherpunks were trying to do and all of those digital cash projects that led up to the creation of Bitcoin, it's funny because if you actually go back and study the history of a lot of these cryptocurrencies that existed before Bitcoin, a lot of the cryptocurrencies today are repeating the same mistakes that those failed hmm. projects made back in like the 90s or the 80s. And the only reason that they've gained traction now is because they're piggybacking off of Bitcoin's success. Um, the, the real like main primary selling point of Bitcoin is its network security, right? Because without its security, nothing no, like we wouldn't be here none of this would matter the fact the reason like bitcoin is so revolutionary is because for the first time ever like you and i can transact any amount of value at any point in time at our discretion without any third party's involvement and nobody can come in and stop that like it's completely unsensible even if a government like in today's day and age a government could maybe try to interfere with that process but it's getting harder and harder for them to do that every single day maybe six years ago they could have tried to stop this thing but now it's it's propagated so far all over the planet and i i i was actually in an argument with somebody not really an argument but somebody was trying to tell me that i'm an idiot for being a bitcoin maximalist on twitter today and i was you know i was like you know you don't understand that bitcoin's primary value comes from its network security and every single other cryptocurrency particularly the sha-256 coins that mine on the SHA-256 algorithm, they are at a severe disadvantage to Bitcoin simply because Bitcoin has the majority proof of work uh, share for SHA-256. So at any point in time, someone could turn off like 5% of Bitcoin's hash power and redirect it to 51% attack any other SHA-256 uh, coin and they would completely crush it. Like they would be able to literally just constantly attack it into the dirt and people would lose faith in that chain and they'd abandon it. So uh, when you're talking about network security, you want something that's government hard, something that these nation states can't come in and say, well, no, we don't like this. We like to be able to print money um, to support our own best interests, the interests of the state, not necessarily the interests of the people of the nation, but the interests of the state, which are held up by things like seniorage and um, the ability to inflate and deflate a currency to impact global trade and the uh, global debt market and all these types of things that, that keep the governments that we know of the world today afloat. Every single country in the world today operates on a fiat currency. And the reason for that is because they can print their own money ad infinitum. You know, uh, countries like like Zimbabwe don't enjoy the same financial freedom that like the United States does, obviously, because if they print too much money, their currency becomes worthless and people start using it as toilet paper. But they are allowed to participate in this global economic system of essentially printing free money, which steals the wealth of the working people like you and I who have money in our bank accounts. Now, um, one more question. This might be a very uh, simple question, but you, you talked about a currency being government hard. Um, 
And what I get from that is essentially there is no central authority. Like no one can run in and shut it down because I, th I think people maybe would fear the United States or any other government saying it's illegal to transact with Bitcoin. Um, do you, do you see that as a risk or what do you mean yeah. by government hard that people would ignore it and use it anyway, because it's a decentralized network. So you can't shut it down. Yeah. So there's sort of, um, I think of it, there's like a couple prongs to that government hard thing. So not only yeah, can governments not just come in and shut it down, um, but governments, they can't censor transactions. They can't say, Hey, no, you can't send that money to your, uh, to your relatives in Turkey, you know, who are starving because maybe the local government is killing people. Uh, you can't send that money to them. Like we're going to stop it at the border. We, we're not allowing any money to go out over to Turkey because it might be funding terrorism. They can't stop your Bitcoin transaction. Now they might be able to punish you for it if they're able to trace it back to you, mm -hmm. but it's not, um, it's a, it's a push system. There's no, there's no mediary. There's no third party that okays that transaction. The other like prong to this is that not only can they not stop it, but they can't affect it. They can't change the monetary policy. They can't just come in and say, okay, well, yeah, there were 21 million Bitcoin originally, um, but we think it would be better if instead there were uh, 50 million Bitcoin. Uh, just to give like you know people more of a chance now to sort of build up their wealth uh, and the currency, you can't come in and change it. So when you look at when you look at something like Bitcoin and you call it government hard, what you mean is that not only can the governments not stop it, but they can't they can't affect it. They can't change it. They can't come in and try to control the monetary policy, which is really what's so important about this. And Satoshi said it himself, like in a lot of the Bitcoin talk post threads, uh, he, he said things like, you know, a lot these systems have been tried in the past and they ultimately failed because of central points of failure, central points of control, mm -hmm. central, central issuers. It's the same problems we have today with the central banks, the central issues of currencies. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> absolutely. Um, so I wanted to, to uh, change subjects a little bit and talk about more of uh, how the world might look. I, I have no idea what the time frame would be, but to start this... Uh, next month. I'd, yeah, yeah, hopefully we're uh, running on everything's on Bitcoin in the next month. But uh, kind of getting a worldwide adoption or, or, or further adoption, let's not even go to the worldwide adoption, this, this transition point between now and really making Bitcoin um, something that's a, a household name and an item. So currency. Yeah. So one of the, one of the issues with Bitcoin is with the, maybe not the issue, might be the best term, but with private keys. And, and if you don't control your private keys, you don't really own your Bitcoin. But with that comes the issue of securing those private keys and especially trying to get people that aren't, you know, just holding their money in the bank um, and having a third party uh, provide the security for them. How do you feel about uh, custodial solutions as a, as a way to onboard people? into Bitcoin, um, whether that's, uh, you know, kind of partial security with multi-sig arrangements or just flat out, you know, do you, do you foresee having banks that would basically manage someone's private keys for them? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, custodial or custodianship is kind of a dirty word in the Bitcoin community. And I, I think that that's unfortunate because it's going to happen. 
It's going to happen. Because yeah, explain of- explain what you mean by that real quick um, to people who may not be as familiar. Like, would Coinbase, for example, be like custodial? I don't consider uh, Coinbase custodial. Um, I would more so consider. I mean, what what would you call Coinbase? Like an intermediary, I guess. Um, a supplier. I I wouldn't really consider Coinbase. Uh, custodial they might be trying to move in that direction i know that they introduced like coinbase vault or something like that where they claim that they store your cryptocurrency offline or at least like and it's a much more secure setup i think that a lot of these uh exchanges that are getting really big are trying to move in that direction because yeah the first major cryptocurrency exchanges that transition to becoming full-fledged banks are going to completely take over um but the reason that there will be custodial solutions for people in cryptocurrency is just be the simple fact that there's demand for it. Like there's people out there who don't want to be responsible for their own keys. They want to either have them insured or they want to have like other people who sort of are watching their back on this. They don't want to have to worry about someone breaking into their house with the $5 wrench and hitting them over their head or holding a gun to their wife and children and saying, you know, give me all of your Bitcoin now, or I'm going to shoot them. Um, people don't a lot of people don't want to manage that kind of responsibility and it's unfortunate you know it's it's a double-edged sword because bitcoin has sort of grown out of this personal self-sovereignty uh personal responsibility run your own full node verify everything don't trust uh always store your own private keys not your private keys not your bitcoin and those are all really good tenants but the honest truth is that it's not for everybody and it's never going to be yeah, yeah, it's um, I mean, I just picture uh, talking to someone like my parents or my parents' age that you're trying to explain to them that yeah, I mean, it's it's once it's gone, it's gone. Like if you if you mess it up, sending Bitcoin somewhere, you, there's no way to get it back. And also, there's this thing called the private key that if you if you lose that or someone gets a hold of it, then then it's gone too. Uh, it's uh, it's a tough selling point. It is, but it's similar to cash. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you send cash in the mail and the mailman takes it, it's gone. Right. Or when you try to wire money. Right. right. But, and but for and that's like for good reason. Most people don't keep lots of cash at their house. You know, they keep it in a bank. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing about uh, kind of larger scale Bitcoin adoption is, is other institutional participation. Uh, can you talk about what you think about that especially like with etfs um for people who that because i i know i'm talking to a coworker and he's you know he's in his 50s and and he knows i'm into bitcoin uh so he he talks to me about it and he's interested in it now i think he's a little bit uh, uh a little bit nervous with the the private key thing and so when he heard about you know the etf kind of thing that kind of piqued his interest a little bit more. I used to be like dead against ETFs, but then I thought about it and kind of for the same reason that you were talking about with the, with the banks and the custodial solutions, it, that it could be a good on onboarding thing. And as long as, as long as people understand the difference between the two things, uh, I, I don't, I'm not as concerned anymore. So what do you, what do you think about that yeah. kind of thing? Uh, it's it's a perfectly natural maturation of like an asset or a new financial class, whatever it is that you want to call it. Like a lot of people get upset when you call Bitcoin an asset class. They're just words, you know, to try to to try to define what it is that we're talking about here. 
this this maturation of the Bitcoin financial industry is a good thing. And it's a good thing for everyone involved. It's good for you. It's good for me. And there's a lot of, you know, I don't like to use the word FUD because I think a lot of time it's overused, but there's a lot of FUD that floats around like about the ETFs and about how it creates fractional reserve Bitcoin. First of all, like that's not how ETFs are regulated. ETFs are regulated to a certain degree. They have to hold X amount of underlying asset relative to the value of their fund. Like by law, they're actually required to maintain that ratio. They can't, they can't just say, okay, we're going to hold 20% of our asset this year. Um, th- th- there's much stricter requirements than that. The next thing that, that kind of comes after that is, are you going to go to the store and buy a carton of milk with your 0.01 Bitcoin worth of ETF? No, like you wouldn't do that with uh, gold. Like it, it doesn't even make any sense. You, you trade the ETF shares for what they are, shares in an ETF. There's demand for that. My dad is a great example of this. Like my dad is currently on a fixed income because he's retired, but he hasn't yet started drawing on like his retirement pension. So he has a lot of money to play around with, but mostly only within the confines of the existing financial infrastructure. At the moment, he doesn't really have a lot of options to take his retirement money that he currently doesn't need because he's drawing a pension and use it to go and maybe buy five or six Bitcoin. He can't do that because the... Uh, institutional support is not there for him to do that. And then you want to take that one step further, things like futures markets, those are even better for the maturation of this market because they allow people like the Bitcoin miners to hedge risk in volatility. You know, like Bitcoin mining has a lot of overhead. You have to pay for the equipment up front, which is a huge cost. And then you have to pay operating costs every single month. You have to pay not only electricity to run the miners, but you have to pay for the cooling costs and the facilities. You have to maintain the facilities. You have to have security, all those types of things. So being able to short the market actually gives uh, cryptocurrency miners an ability to hedge their positions in a long term. It's the same thing that farmers do uh, all over the world, like at least in the United States, they constantly are shorting markets to hedge their risk against volatility. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I agree. I agree with you there. Um, another thing I forgot, I wanted to bring this up earlier, but a point that you made earlier about the Bitcoin being censorship resistant and, and government hard and government not being able to uh, mess around with people trying to send money. And a, and a great example of that is I think it's Venezuela. Uh, you, we all know a lot about their their economic problems down there, their, their money is in ruin and and people are starting to use bitcoin and one of the reasons they're doing it is uh for remittance purposes is that people who have left the country and are living and working in other countries uh they want to send money back to their relatives back in venezuela and currently to do that through any sort of the institutional financial organizations in venezuela you know the government has a stranglehold on them and so they take a cut <laughs> of what they're sending so yeah. it's it's I, I forget the exact percentage but it was uh it was pretty high i think it was 30 to 50 percent or something of the money they were sending that the venezuelan government just says now nah, we're gonna we're just gonna seize that but uh people are now switching over to bitcoin because they know that 
that value can actually be all of it can be transferred to the loved ones uh, back home. So it's a really uh, great example of uh, of one of the the huge benefits of Bitcoin with helping yeah. helping poor people get out of poverty in other Absolutely. countries. Yeah, and that's that's really what this is all about, right? I mean, like we sit here like and we talk about like gains and like all these like there's so many exciting things in Bitcoin that I think a lot of times we lose track of the forest for the trees. Like that's what this is really about. It's about taking power away from tyrannical totalitarian regimes all over the planet. And you know, if you don't know, like if you're listening to this and you don't know, there's been a growing amount of totalitarian reign on this planet over the last century and if you aren't aware then it's because you haven't been paying attention or you probably didn't really pursue much education on your own outside of public school and that's okay you know you have plenty of time to go and do that but you need to understand that bitcoin attempts to subvert that totalitarianism and i think every time we see one of these localized events of economic duress something like venezuela something like zimbabwe something like uh Bolivia. Every time these things happen, they're case studies for how Bitcoin acts in these type of circumstances. And there's a lot of common themes that we see. We see a huge spike in volume, like trading volume of Bitcoin at the local level in these countries where people literally lose their life savings overnight. Because wealth in those in those circumstances, wealth always flees into harder, more liquid or sorry, harder, more liquid um, stores of value. Now, a really interesting thing was happening in Venezuela was because people knew that it was going to get really bad there because the country literally socialized itself completely. Uh, I don't know if you guys pay attention to like the clips on Twitter. You don't see this stuff on the mainstream media, but people are starving in Venezuela and mm -hmm. they're waiting in lines that are wrapping around blocks and blocks for hours and hours, waiting in lines for hours just to get to the end of the line and find out all the food is gone. It's really reminiscent of like uh, Soviet Union or like uh, 50s China, like all of those types of things where massive uh, socialist reforms just completely wipe out an entire generation of a country. A lot of these people that were fleeing Venezuela were taking everything they could carry and trying to flee the country because they knew it was going to get bad. But what was happening was at the border, everything that they had was being taken from them by the government agents, right? Like any jewelry that they had on them, any deeds to property, any clothing of any value whatsoever. They were literally only leaving the country with the clothes on their backs. And I wouldn't be surprised if in some cases they didn't even go with that. I mean, you look at communist china and there were some cases where the people in china were so poor because the government had taken everything from them that the women would cut off their hair and give it to the government so they could make rope i mean we're not like this isn't a fantasy story here these things really do happen the only people that were actually getting out of venezuela with their wealth intact or some semblance of their wealth that they were actually able to extradite from the country was in the form of Bitcoin because gold bars can be taken at the border. Bitcoin, you can memorize 24 words, put them in your head, and you can take that Bitcoin with you anywhere in the world and no one's the wiser. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, yeah, you hit on one of the, the incredible properties of Bitcoin right there is that it's, it's transportability, right? Like, even in an extreme example like that, I mean, when, when we talk about that with, uh, you know, gold was was good because you could, you know, mint into into small coins and it was easy, easy to carry around like that, as opposed to like a giant ray stone that was sitting in the middle of the village 
Um, but you can, you can go as far as, as having your head, your literal head, your brain being the bank. If you, if you choose to do that, or you, you could have any, any number, any number of other, uh, other things you'd have it on your phone. You could have a, like a tracer, you can have a, I forget who does it, but they have these little, uh, little sticks of something that you, you, once you break the seal to get the private keys, it, it shows that it's, it's broke. I forget what it is, but, uh, yeah. So, um, Slap, do you have anything else in this this area? Because I was gonna. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I've heard stories of people adopting children and having to carry like fifty grand of cash on them. Um, it's just very dangerous traveling through a foreign country with lots of cash strapped to you, literally strapped to your body. Uh, Bitcoin kind of solves that problem. Yeah, definitely. And you can think of countless other situations where that would be helpful. Yeah. So. Uh... Another another kind of topic I wanted to touch on is what do you have to say, Colin, about the Bitcoin price watchers out there? Um, whether or not they're they're there to just kind of poo-poo on Bitcoin to watch the price drop, or people that are into Bitcoin uh, but get get really wrapped up in what the price is today and yesterday and tomorrow. I think it depends on where you're coming from here because I've looked at the price of Bitcoin every single day for the last two years. Um, and sometimes I probably look at it 50 times in a single day. But that's not necessarily because I'm obsessed with the price moving tomorrow. It's because I'm obsessed with like kind of just Bitcoin in general. And I think about it nonstop. And I'm constantly just interested in seeing like what's going on. Why is it moving? Where is it going? Um, I, I think it's natural uh, with something that's with the potential to be this transformative, to be this big, to be this transcendent of just time and space to literally potentially be something that my grandchildren's grandchildren are using. I think that it's natural to have a certain obsessive uh, level of attention on something like this because the people who get it, like the people that for the most part, like the Bitcoin maximalists, the people who really get this stuff, it's all they can talk about. And it drives everybody that they know crazy because it's all <laughs> that they can talk about. Like, and you kind of go through this phase where you want to talk to Bitcoin, talk about Bitcoin to everybody, and then you kind of realize, like, okay, I can't really just be the guy who only ever talks about Bitcoin because my wife will leave me and I won't have any friends. But it's all you want to talk about because it's huge. It's bigger than anybody like realizes. Um, so if we're talking about like people that are in Bitcoin that are constantly looking at the price, you know, so be it. All those other people, uh, t I take them or leave them. I mean, I, I don't understand like why why waste your time and energy on something that you're not interested in. I I don't understand it. You know, some people just want to see Bitcoin fail. I guess I get that. Maybe they just want to be able to say, "I told you so." So, just another question I ask a lot of people is, "What do you think about the price going from eighteen grand to three grand in a year, or a little over a year, or whatever?" I mean, why do you think it went up so high, and why do you think it crashed? Or so do you I, have thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, no, I, I try not to like really think into that too much. Um, yeah. Because I, mean, I, I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, I'm yeah. really just taking a guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's all. I'm, I'm, I just like to hear what people think. Because um, my, my thing, if I can jump in in my own question, is that 
it's a long run game. That that's why we were talking about the prices. I don't really care what the price is day to day. It's a it's a long it's a long run thing, and I'm just trying to build up as much Bitcoin as I can in it now. But uh, just interested to hear what you think about how wildly popular it got for a couple months. Yeah. So I think a lot of the price run up was actually manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, who, as far as who was doing the manipulating, I don't know. Um, there are a lot of deep pockets out there and a, a lot of people with a lot of Bitcoin out there that really, really love Bitcoin and really have a vested interest in its success. And, you know, I don't know like what the party that was pumping Bitcoin up, what their intentions were and whose side that they were on. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but I suspect that part of it was orchestrated maybe because some people wanted to make some profit because some of the big holders of Bitcoin wanted to kind of reduce their Bitcoin holdings a little bit, uh, make lots of money from it. It might also have something to do with some of these people who were trying to get rich off of their affinity scams, things like XRP, you know, like maybe they were taking some of their existing money, using it to pump Bitcoin and then in tandem hijacking that momentum for their own projects. That's very possible too. Um, but again, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of speculating there because I, I don't really know. But I do think it definitely had a lot to do with manipulation. I, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of looking at this from a long-term timeline. Like, I'm the type of person who, when I buy my Bitcoin, I'm buying it with the assumption that I'm never going to sell it. Because I want to hold it until I don't need to sell it to, like, be able to use it on something. Um it's the kind of like I'm buying Bitcoin now, like for my retirement, for my mm. kids, for my kids, kids. That's the way I'm looking at this because I like, I expect it to continue to do what it's done over the last decade and then some over the next several decades. And I, you know, I think everybody should try to think about it more long-term like that, but you know, it's, it's exciting in the day to day too, especially when you see days where things move like 50 to hundred percent in a single day. That's crazy to watch that happen. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. The last ten years of Bitcoin, how it seems like it's been way longer, or even the last couple of years with the price run up, it, it feels like it's it's been going forever, but it really hasn't. It's really compressed the uh, the time scale. Uh, and and to your point about not selling Bitcoin, I'm the same way. I, I I buy it and hold it. The only way that I the only way I'm gonna ever sell it per se is when that's the only. Th- thing that someone's going to accept which at that point is going to be money (laughs) and i'm going to be demanding bitcoin as payment myself so that's that's kind of the best case scenario exactly or when when a guy like jw weatherman says uh either you give me bitcoin or that's that's the only i'm going (laughs) to give you this course that you want to take yeah exactly yeah and i've had a couple of those circumstances um justin moon's biddle boot camp is another example of something that the only way i could do it was to pay bitcoin um, and I really wanted to take his course because I wanted to learn how to build um, like a Bitcoin stack in Python. So I paid him like six or seven hundred bucks in Bitcoin in order to take his uh, intensive like Python Bitcoin class. And that was totally worth it. But I had to spend my Bitcoin. And that's like probably one of the only times I'll ever do that unless something better comes along in the future. Yeah. But, oh, you, you took you took his course because I've been yeah, looking yeah. at it. Um, I, I did. It was it was really good. Um it's pretty high level. Well, it's not like super, it starts out kind of easy, but it, it ramps up pretty fast. Um, so you, you do get, you get lifetime access when you take his course. So even if it takes you like months and months to pour through all the information, uh, he's constantly going back and updating it and like running new groups of people through the cohort. So 
you can kind of just jump into any class at any time um, pick up where you left off uh, as you as you grow your understanding and I, I would call myself maybe like an intermediate level programmer I'm definitely not like high level so there was a part in the middle where I kind of fell out uh, but yeah uh, just circle back real quick uh, if you guys are interested in that yeah go check out Justin Moon's Biddle Bootcamp find Justin Moon on Twitter. He's a great guy, uh, really knows a lot about Bitcoin. But uh, back to what we were originally talking about, the Bitcoin adoption. I, I think that it's natural for these things to happen in like waves, like hype cycles where everybody gets really excited about it and lots of people rush in and a whole lot of people kind of wash out. It's sort of reminiscent of like the rising and the lowering of the tides, right? Like, I mean, the tides come in, all the boats lift up, the tides go out and some things get washed back out to sea. It's just natural. It's the natural evolution of these things. And some people get washed in and they become hodlers of last resort. They become the new Bitcoin maximalists and some of the old Bitcoin maximalists get washed out to sea. It's it's just perfectly normal. Yeah. And speaking of these tides, we're, we're in a, a bear market following that uh, really high um, uh, price point a little while ago. So wh- how do you feel about this bear market? Uh, I know people tend to feel maybe a little bit depressed about it. They, you know, the high price is exciting and it's great to see your, uh, your wealth go up, but uh, do you see any, uh, any advantages to having a bear market like this? I love it. <laughs> so I, I, I love it. I, all right. For one thing, like I'm more excited bullish, I guess if you could call it that, I think calling Bitcoin bullish is kind of stupid because I'm like a perma bullish on Bitcoin. Um, I'm more bullish on Bitcoin now than I was like a year and a half ago when it was just going nuts than, than I was like in December 2017 when it was at its peak. I'm more excited about it now than I was then. And it's because Bitcoin has only gotten better since. The price has gone down, but that's been good for me because my faith, my understanding has only improved. My faith has held strong and I'm taking advantage of this opportunity to sort of build out my understanding, you know, without all these distractions to really, really dig deep and like ask, like, what is Bitcoin? Like, why is it, why is it going to be the future? And not just that, but I can buy like a lot of Bitcoin at a cheaper price when November, December, 2017 rolled around. Like I thought I had missed the boat. Like I thought it was too late. I thought I was going to have to do everything I could just to try to get one whole Bitcoin and it might not ever even happen. I was doing so much stupid shit. I was buying cloud mining contracts and like, buying all kinds of stupid altcoins just for the hope of like catching a pump and dump and maybe being able to use some of those gains to um, buy into Bitcoin. And I want to like kind of preface that with saying that I had a lot of experience trading penny stocks. Um, Like I was really active in trading penny stocks before I got into cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. So I was treating trading cryptocurrencies a lot like trading penny stocks, which if you you don't know anything about that, it's completely Mm -hmm. different than trading normal stocks. Um, but yeah, I love it, man. I, I just dollar cost averaging. I know, uh, JW is not a big dollar cost averaging fan, but I'm pretty cash poor at this point. I have buy when you can. Yeah. I just buy it every, I buy every Friday. Yeah. A few bucks in here and there and you start building it up. Yep. Every Friday without fail. I am buying Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah. I'm in the same boat with you as, as loving the bear market. Cause I'm taking advantage of, of that by, learning programming so i'm i'm in code academy going through some stuff and and building up my because my previous program programming experience was like matlab in college and a little bit of vba 
uh, early on in my working career. So yeah, I want the price to, to stay as low as possible and, and not much attention on Bitcoin. So I can kind of be more of a contributor and, and be active that way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's, there's still so much space here, like for, like there's so much that needs to get built out and like so many personalities that need to sort of be created and like lifted up and like all these products that need to get built. And we're just seeing like the baby steps being taken right now. And a lot of stuff that like people, like what you guys are doing, like with this podcast, I mean, you know, you, you might eventually decide to move on from this, like move on to bigger and better things. But for now, like this is awesome, like that you guys are building this in the bear market, like now in the in the crypto winter, you know, you guys are you're building your, your little fort. Yeah, it's it's and it's pretty incredible. I, I said that there's not as much attention in this bear market, but and you mentioned it too. the development going on in Bitcoin right now is insane. You look at what where it was a year ago compared to where it is now. And that's why I laugh at all the people that say that, that there's not anything going on in Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, especially just like the lightning network. I mean, that was oh, people were criticizing that as vaporware and everything was just because they didn't have any patience, but I, it's man, if that, if that really catches on as a second layer and it, and it looks like it is because it keeps growing and it keeps getting better and people keep making improvements on it. I mean, Man, you've got instant, almost an infinite number of transactions you can do. Yeah, Lightning is pretty insane uh, for any of your listeners that are listening to this and think that the last year has been boring. I would advise you to start looking into Lightning. If nothing else, just go go to like 1ml.com and just look at like the Lightning statistics and look at how much it's grown just over the last 30 days or just over the last 60 days or 90 days or the last year. It will blow your mind because you think cryptocurrency has been doing nothing but go down and down and down this past year. Lightning has exploded. I mean, we're talking about exponential growth and it's not just that, like everything in Bitcoin continues to go up, like hash power continues to grow. Daily transactions continues to grow. Daily dollar volume continues to grow. Like all of these things are just constantly getting better and better. There's no reason to be upset about uh, the price of Bitcoin right now. Yeah, and, and there's people making things because Bitcoin gets criticized as, as kind of the, the nerd project where you need to be a programmer to understand and do anything. And, and Lightning Network was, was tough because I wanted to run a Lightning node. And so I was trying to do it and I'm trying to you know, run command line in Linux that, you know, I don't know either of those things. And it, it, I was not having great success. And then uh, async came along with the Eclair uh, lightning uh, node. And, and that was a, uh, you know, windows installer. It was super easy, easy to do. Uh, now Piero shard has his, uh, his windows uh, GUI for installing Bitcoin and lightning, a lightning node with just clicking a couple buttons, basically. Uh, so it's, uh, I mean, they're, they're really making it, doing it yeah. incredible work. Yeah. And, and Pierre is an awesome guy. Um, he will personally help you like in private messages. If you're having trouble getting his node launcher to work, he is, uh, I'm a huge fan of the noted podcast. I support them on Patreon. Uh, yeah. I heard you. I, that I was going to bring that podcast up cause it's excellent. Uh, and I did hear you in one of the episodes you think got one of your questions on there. yeah i'm actually supposed to be interviewing uh pierre rochard here sometime in the next week or two so hopefully that happens oh that's and, awesome yeah and uh i also want to point out uh you got you got like these new 
I guess you could call them like entrepreneurial solutions to like running a Bitcoin and a lightning node, things like Casa and uh, Noddle. I don't know if you've heard of those, but they're just like standalone Raspberry Pi units that mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. send in the mail. It's already pre-synced and you just plug it into your router and it works. Like It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I bought a Raspberry Pi to uh, try to make that my, my Bitcoin and lightning node. Uh, also, just as a just to try to learn on the back end. That's a great way to do it. Yeah, um, I don't know. Is Nodal's just like ca- uh, Casa? Nodal, yeah, it's just like Casa, except it also has BTC Pay Server built into it. Yeah, that's another thing. You want to talk about BTC Pay Server? Yeah, so I haven't actually used it. Um, I it's essentially like a merchant solution for people who have like a like a drop shipping website or like a, a like a website where you just offer anything for sale. It doesn't matter what it is. You can set up this BTC pay server to allow people to pay you Bitcoin like directly on your website um, without having to jump through like a lot of third party hoops where you don't have to like go through the BitPay nightmare or anything like that. It's completely self-hosted. You can host your own server to uh, generate these transactions for your customers and then have the Bitcoin sent directly to you. There's, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, it, the system is incredible. And th- we're looking at like, we're looking at entire uh, strata of finance completely being reimagined here. And no, like nobody other than a, a couple thousand people have any idea what's going on. Yeah. And even Blockstream put up, is putting up satellites that you can, you can run a node uh, using the satellite, which, which makes the even more difficult for any anyone like a government to try to mess around with what you're trying to do yeah i uh, i've heard mixed things about that i'm not i'm not so sure that blockstream actually launched their own satellite i think that they're i think that they're renting space on a satellite oh, right 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 but they yeah i that's i don't know that they launched yeah. their own satellite. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They, there's there are satellites up there that are that blockstream is using yeah, and I, I think it's it's cool, but then at the same time, like I can host a Bitcoin node on Amazon too, and that's I mean it's not as sexy as having it in space, but um, it's not it's not the same as like running it yourself. And right, I, I do you know I, I get where you're coming from though. I, I, it's awesome. I mean, it's just crazy to see just the amount of insight and experimentation and like crazy new ideas and just all kinds of innovation that's coming from Bitcoin, like things, things that wouldn't be happening if Bitcoin didn't exist. Yeah. And uh, give me a couple months and I'm going to be running that Bitcoin node for my tractor. Uh, but, but it is, I mean, it's one of the neat things too, is that you, you would expect with all the technology that we have that just to get with, with Bitcoin security measures becoming uh, more and more technologically advanced, but at the same time, it's kind of going in the other direction with security things, so like taking things offline. Like you mentioned before about uh, trying to leave Venezuela with your wealth and you can memorize your your mnemonic seed. And that's like as 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 low tech as it gets. It's just having something in your in your head, words in your head. Um, it's it's really neat to see kind of the merger of, of this highly technical, incredible technology with just really basic stuff. Like another one is, you you know, you can engrave your private seed on a, this may not be the best idea for security reasons, but like a, a, a thing that you can engrave your private, uh, the seed or some of it onto a piece of metal and bury it in your yard. So in case your house catches on fire, 
know, if you've got it on paper, it's destroyed, but uh, just really low tech solutions for something uh, as technical as Bitcoin's is pretty neat to see too. Yeah, a lot of times uh, the most elegant solutions are the most simple. And humans tend to be pretty ingenious, especially when faced with crisis. So I imagine that we're going to see some really amazing, but yet incredibly simple things emerge out of like Bitcoin and what people are able to do with it, where people are kind of just like, wow, I wish I had thought of that because that's a really good idea. Uh, Bitcoin sort of like sparks that kind of innovation. Oh, absolutely. So, Slappy, do you have any uh, anything else? Uh, no, unless you do. No, I was just going to uh, transition into the free market success story. Although, I think that Bitcoin is an incredible free market success story. And with that in mind, I'm, I'm going to keep it the topic on Bitcoin for this. Uh, just before we went on, I was talking to someone on Twitter. He sent me a picture of a Bitcoin ATM and asked me if I was you oh, know knew yeah. about these. And... Uh, Part of my reaction was, yeah, yeah, I know about Bitcoin ATMs. They exist. And, and part of me wanted to say, like, uh, I wonder if it's like legitimate or not. Um, I haven't, I don't think I've heard of any, any scam Bitcoin ATMs out there other than maybe uh, it says you buy Bitcoin and you end up getting Bitcoin cash. Uh, but uh, one of the, the solutions for that, but within a couple seconds, I, I came up with how that could be a solution is that, you know, you can go online and see where the Bitcoin ATMs are. So you can kind of verify that, that what you're using is actually <laughs> going to get you Bitcoin. And the other thing, too, is that the Bitcoin ATMs just don't exist in space on their own. They're usually, where do you see other ATMs? You either see them at a bank or at like gas stations or convenience stores. Actually, one of the bars, relatively local, has one that I, I recently heard about. I haven't been there. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to check that out. But Or at a bar, there's ATMs. But And can you imagine if a place, any any sort of reputable business, put an AT, a Bitcoin ATM in and it ended up being something that just stole your money? I mean, it would be terrible for them. So they they have an incentive to uh, make sure that what they're putting in is legitimate. And also the, the people that are providing the Bitcoin ATMs also have an incentive to make sure that it's easy for people to verify that, uh, that they can they can use the use the ATM and, and know that they're going to actually get Bitcoin out of it. So uh, with good. that. Yeah. Colin, uh, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you or plug anything that you have or you're working on? Yeah. So like Slappy said, uh, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore HA trader. It's a terrible Twitter handle, but I'm as far as I know, I'm the only person that goes by heavily armed clown on Twitter. And my <laughs> picture is a clown with a flak jacket and a green helmet on. Uh, other than that, I, uh, I spend a lot of time posting content on Decentralized TV on YouTube. You can find us if you just go to Decentralized TV on YouTube or Decentralized.TV. Uh, I don't post content on them on there as much as I had been over the last few months, but that will probably be changing soon. I'm switching to sort of more long-form stuff like product reviews and trying to do more podcasts like this and stuff like that. Uh, if you find me on any of those places, you know, you can reach out to me and I can point you to other places I hang out on the internet, but those are probably the best places. 
Awesome. Well, uh, we'll we'll have them on the show notes page as well as some other uh, some of the other things we talked about. Um, and that will be mcflugel.com slash 126. And also uh, check out Liberty Mugs. We sell uh, libertarian-themed mugs and also a lot of Bitcoin stuff out there. So, uh, And also we we're talking about uh, mathbot.com. And uh, we have uh, mathbot.com hats that uh, work with J.W. Weatherman to get them on Liberty Mugs. So if you want to support the project and be a billboard for MathBot, uh, go check them out get a hat uh so once again colin thanks very much for uh for coming on the show yeah man that was great appreciate appreciate you coming on hey thanks for letting me ramble for an hour <laughs> <laughs> anytime man you can hang on uh, once once we stop uh recording so again uh welcome to the uh new year of 2019 and thanks for listening we'll catch you next week peace